This is Lost in the Groove. And I'm Mike. I'm Dave. We hippies have come together to spark change. So together, we give you our society and culture podcast. So with that, let's get funky and let the intro music play, baby. So, we're back with Working Class Heroes. Uh, this is the second part to the last episode of this segment. And uh, we're going to take a little bit of a different swing. We're going to kind of look at this in a direction of small businesses, nonprofits, entrepreneurs, and the people that are trying to make a difference. So, uh, today we have Aaron that's here to share with us their stories and possibly give us a deeper of understanding of what exactly is the work that's involved. (laughs) Thank you so much. Um, Mike and Dave, it's such a pleasure um, being here. Um, So yeah, I am Erin DeVos. I work in uh, the nonprofit and uh, CSR space, the corporate social responsibility. Um, I am a freelance consultant. So I work with, um, you know, a variety of those uh, companies and sectors um, ranging from uh, one of the nonprofits I work with is uh, with LEAP, which is um, leadership education for um, Asian Pacifics, all the way um, to Blue Cross and Blue Shield. I do social media for them, too. And so um, working in these uh, varieties of like nonprofits and social responsibility uh, spaces, social responsibility spaces, um, <laughs> so tongueful, um, has been really rewarding in the sense of just being able to uh, be able to bring the voice to what some of these nonprofits are standing for, but to also um, hold the responsibility in the corporate um, social responsibility place. Uh, so it's very uh, unique, and especially, um, you know, during the times that we are in uh, right now, how nonprofits and CSR companies are just very important um, to kind of spearhead what our future may look like. Right. It's a, it, it is kind of a tongue twister for sure. And it's, uh, it's been growing in, uh, I want to say, or it's, it, it's been accelerating quite a bit uh, for a lot of companies to have a department like this to, uh, to be more uh, responsible, more responsive um, to any type of issue within their organizations. I mean, happy employees equals more productivity equals hopefully higher profits. Mm-hmm. Right, but, but I mean, here's also the way I look at it. Maybe this is my own perspective. I kind of see in a way you have these large corporations that come along, and they need to spread a word or an image for themselves. And what they do is is that they take these nonprofits, these people that they want to create something that they're proud of, but they don't have the resources nor the tools to do so. And here you have a large corporation that just comes out of nowhere and is like, hey. We're going to support you. Mm-hmm. So you might say to yourself, that sounds great. But in reality, isn't the corporation taking away what this organization originally started with? Yeah, in a way, um, that's a good question. But it could also be considered like amplifying them, too. So for some of the corporations that I work with and working with nonprofits very closely, like they are tied to that mission. And I think it's really about looking into like the value of the companies. I know that's something, you know, Ben and Jerry's is a prime example of that. They are a company 
um, that works with a variety of nonprofits, but also social issues that they stand with. So I feel like it's been um, a shift more so in recent years. And I think like even the pandemic kind of brought that out a little bit more, how we all need to really um, work together because, you know, at the end of it, like we're all in this kind of, you know, business ecosystem, if you will. And so wondering like where the balance is, um, especially when it comes to, uh, you know, the different missions that someone stands for relating to the company, if that makes sense. I guess so. Yes, it does make sense. Um, you know, companies getting involved or for the nonprofit to get involved with any other organization, uh, you would imagine some of those views have to align in some way. Uh, and, and that's where you said it would be amplified in, mm-hmm. in the best case uh, scenarios that we can imagine. It would be amplified and it can reach more people and have a more positive impact than if, uh, if it were just, let's say, for image which, you know, who knows, there's probably companies that are looking at the situation that's going on the last several years and says, you know what, we should jump on this, it'll give us a really good image too. So mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen any of that happen. Yeah, I think I kind of see that more so when it comes to in the environmental space. So like companies that greenwash, for example, so being aware of what that looks like um and also what you know what the reality is behind that because it can look um you know i'm trying not to call out some of these corporations here of but course of course like, they um you know just are very leading and wanting to be like environmentally friendly but in the reality um you know what they do behind the scenes is not exactly ethical so like whether it's like paying uh you know workers fairly or, um, you know, using uh, non-toxic chemicals um, to produce clothing, for example. So I think like being aware, but also doing the research, I think uh, that's kind of something that I like as being a consultant and freelancer. And the space is I kind of, not that I can necessarily like pick and choose the different missions that I like to represent, but what are they going for and how can I um, help them get there too? So another another thing that I've I've always been curious about is, you know, unfortunately, we've become a country where we export more than we actually take care of our own country. Um, and you see a lot of American brands, especially Levi's, and I'm going to bring that up right now. They yeah. cherish themselves as this American-made brand. Well, guess what? None of their clothing is made here in the U.S. All yeah. of it's made in China. So, the, first of all, they charge quadruple the price than any, any other gene company. Okay, mm-hmm. like they are the the supreme, but at the same time, they're going against of what they stand for, and they keep on throwing this idea of we're environmentalists, we want to support the planet, we want to support our country, but they don't do anything to do so. So where does mm-hmm. where does it leave those people that believe in this fictional image, and they can't get it out of their head? Are they wrong? Yeah, I mean, they as in like Levi's or um, folks who are wanting to follow them. Folks that are wanting to follow them. Yeah, I think, you know, when it comes to, yeah, so Levi's, for example, I think it can come down to like the advertising and marketing that comes behind it too. Because like you could see kind of like, you know, the brand voice and tone in terms of like, okay, the imagery is looking like they are, um, you know, wanting to you know, be like socially responsible. And so I think it's a matter of, you know, they have to 
not only just like represent in their marketing, but what that is like behind the scenes and showcasing that too, because I think that's where, um, you know, a lot of stories can be made is a matter of, are they going to, you know, move forward? Like, is there a story behind this? Like, what is that mission? And so I think for folks to kind of, you know, consider like be that sustainable shopper or be um, that conscious consumer, I think is very want to do the research like I can't (laughs) emphasize that enough in terms of figuring out um like what their background is around that that's kind of the beauty of marketing isn't it is that um if they believe it then they believe it uh, unless it's proven otherwise um you know I have my own feelings about it I mean everybody sources China and there's um there's no way around it I I can say that uh uh for some brands the quality diminishes depending on the factory they go with and for some brands the the quality doesn't diminish much but you're also it's still for, you're, almost as good but they are charging just as much as they would as if it were made here for but example also, but you're also forgetting the businesses now where they're angry at china you know i've, <laughs> I've actually bought clothing now which is very strange it's made in vietnam and india and i'm like yeah. How the hell have I ever bought jeans that is made in Vietnam and India? Uh, you would have maybe twenty years ago. You 20, don't. Yeah, not yeah. anymore. Not but, now. But but you know, a, a good example of this is, for example, H and M. They use recycled materials to make their clothes, and I, I believe it's Indonesia or, or Vietnam, so one of those. And it's um, and and it's a good it's a good sales point. I mean, uh, I what else can I really say? It's really incredible to say, or for for them to market that, hey, the materials are all recycled materials and we're making clothes out of it, uh, clothes that you will, you will like to wear and that you will like the way you look it, uh, when you wear it. It's really astonishing to me. Um, who knew? 20 years ago, that wouldn't have happened, I don't think. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, it feel like, you know, we're kind of like patching on like the different <laughs> fabrics at this point, you know, in terms of being recycled. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, it's kind of strange that we're, especially like now we're talking about clothing, but it's so, it's so weird. There's actually a brand, and I don't know why I keep on going through brands, but there's a brand that makes, you've heard of it, it's called LaCroix. Uh, it's like a essential uh, oil with uh, club soda. And they've got a lot of hatred going on for quite a number of years. You know, people getting doctors saying it's bad, it's this and that. And in my head, because I switched from that from soda, um, yeah. and I've been doing great. And I see it as a way of where advertisers that make soda and make all these sugary beverages, they don't want a company like LaCroix growing any bigger because it steals their businesses away. So you all of a sudden have where, okay, LaCroix is a corporation. They probably do evil shit. They all do evil shit. But Mm -hmm. the point is that they're trying to make somewhat of a difference. But there's a pushback because the bigger guy up there is like, no, 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 (laughs) no. We don't have space for you. There's no room here for you. Well, that goes against uh, American values because the whole point is is that you you can. And if you you have enough... uh, persistence and will like you can do it so i don't know it's really interesting that you bring that up um what you know i don't know if you'd be allowed to talk about some of the projects that you you might be involved in now but um Mm -hmm. or even names that you can drop but uh what's 
what's a project you worked on that you felt you made the biggest impact in or that it felt like this is I'm doing I'm doing the right thing right now Thank you. Yeah, that's a it's a really good question. So funny enough, it actually has to do with clothing. So one of my um, someone that I well, okay, the organization I um, had a client with um, under when I was in the agency life is um, with Okatex. Um, they are based in Germany and they te- uh, they test for harmful substances and clothing. So what we um, did, and I was the social media and marketing manager at the time um, for that particular account. And so what we had done is we had to put together an influencer campaign. So we had to reach out to different, uh, you know, influencers and wanting to um, advertise the certain brands. Like there's, um, you know, Target has a line that has the Okatex label. Um, And so we had to ask the influencers to promote these certain products, but then I had thought of the idea just being like, well, um, you know, to be think about from a sustainability standpoint, like, you know, we're not just going to send off like these one off, um, you know, things like towels, for example, that was one of the things that we had advertised in yarn um, when we worked with um, sewers and or crochet or <laughs> sewers, um, but um, those who um, crocheted, but it was interesting because I had thought of like, well, they can, you know, we'll reimburse them for buying the product themselves. It's, it's locally. If not, we will send it to them too, because, you know, my, the client at the time, like did not think about that. Cause it's just like, well, if we're trying to promote sustainability within this, like we have to think about how we're even sending the product to these influencers um, in the first wow. place. So that's where it was kind of like, you know, a pause <laughs> moment um, for the campaign and being able to say like, you know, we could do this more in a sustainable way. And it ended up being successful because some, most of the folks like were able to buy it more locally and not um, take up more carbon emissions from that. So it was an interesting takeaway. Um, And then there's definitely, yeah, I would say that was probably one of the most impactful, Um, but I also have worked with uh, Boston Uncornered and they are a nonprofit that works with um, youth who have been um, incarcerated and then help them guide their way through college or financially assist them through college. And so there I actually got to work with the New England Patriots um, on a campaign and roll out uh, essentially a fundraiser. So I got to meet, um, you know, with Tom Brady, like Robert Kraft, uh, Devin McCourty. I sat in on a photo shoot with him. So it was pretty wow. cool, like knowing like, you know, there are these, um, you know, bigger organizations like the NFL that want to be involved with something like Boston Uncornered is, uh, you know, it was incredible. Yeah, that is incredible. It is. And it's really unfortunate that this is something that always bothered me is people that have been in prison and when they leave, mm-hmm. a lot of them don't have opportunities. You know, I knew one person, one person, he was a lawyer. And he was incarcerated and he was in prison for about 15 years. Jesus, what did he do? <laughs> it's, it's a very long story. What happened was, <laughs> to make the long story short, he was in a car and it was a major car accident. And he was the only person that survived. Mm. So, they, you know, it, it took them years. Like he was sentenced to life. It, sentence, and then they finally figured out like what happened. And to make matters short, they figured out how he survived, and he got out of prison, but no one would hire him. Wow. And 
The only person that helped him get through law school and get everything done was a man that was incarcerated himself that became a lawyer. He figured it out. Yeah. And he so, helps and he helps someone he else. Helps that's, somebody out. That's that's good. But yeah, have you have, have you worked with organizations that have tried to bring over people that have been from prison and give them an opportunity, possibly a, another chance in life? Yeah, that essentially was uh, Boston Uncornered. Um, I mostly worked on the um, marketing and social media side, but essentially with that program, they only not only like financially assisted them, but they would have mentors. So folks who had been either incarcerated themselves or went through um, the program, um, just knowing about um, just the, well, the streets of like Boston in that sense, like being able to find like that connection is so important to guide the youth um, to, you know, continue on to college and being able um, to also partner with local colleges um, throughout Boston too, for them to get their education as well. I mean, that's, uh, we, we have a lot of problems like that here in, uh, in California in general, it's, uh, and it just grows and grows and grows. Uh, but I've always felt that um, the the private sector might might be able to actually implement some kind of programs that may be effective short term and show some promise for the long term. Uh, but uh, these are individuals. I mean, what um, well, what were they called again? It was Boston. Boston, Boston uncornered. Right? Uncornered. I mean. Mm-hmm. The, they as a community decided, um, and I guess the nonprofit itself decided, hey, this is a serious problem. And, you know, what are we going to do as these uh, young people get older and have nothing to really turn to? It becomes a vicious cycle. And it's all corners of life. It's, you know, it doesn't really discriminate. I think that's a, a really, um, a really positive story from uh, from your experiences there. Um, and I can see why, um, why it, it would have had that kind of impact, why you brought it up. Um, I mean, it's so, uh, it's, it's so weird when we think about the marketing nonprofit work, right? Yeah. Um, I, I, I've even thought of like how difficult it sometimes is for raising, uh, funds and having to do various different, uh, fundraising mechanisms to kind of, uh, try to do what you want to do. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I don't know what's, uh, you may not, you may not know, but uh, I mean, what's the, what's the biggest nonprofit that exists today? Ooh. Or maybe the wealthiest. Wealthiest. Um, hmm, that's a really good question. I mean, I would say definitely, well, the first one that comes to mind is the Melinda um, and Bill Gates foundation. They are. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so their yeah. nonprofit um, is incredible um, to be able to work with, you know, not only just wanting to build like the leaders of tomorrow, but also like within the technology space. STEM is just very, uh, you know, you know, it's all about them, <laughs> given like Bill Gates and Melinda. But I would say like that would be the biggest nonprofit. But wondering in terms of like, would you say like asking like the biggest mission? to to turn that into yeah i would say sure because they're both relevant like wealthiest as in who has had the most funding that could also be a variable of uh, tenure you know if they've been around five 
decades or eight decades, they would have had a lot of time to there's a lot do of a... organ there's a lot of organizations that have been around for a very long time. I mean, for example, uh, you know, I'm a musician. One organization which kind of trickled down over and over was giving education to people that wanted to be musicians, people that wanted to play music. Because mm -hmm. for a very long time it was considered, you know, it's it's poor, you know, it's sickly. Like, why, why the hell would you spend your time <laughs> learning a guitar? What the hell is wrong with you? But, there's no future in this. Yeah, there's no future. It's garbage. It's wood. <laughs> it's wood. I'm telling you, it's wood. <laughs> but look how far that we've gotten. So maybe that's also a different perspective of looking at nonprofit is not is how wealthy they are, but mm -hmm. how much they've accomplished. I mean, they've. Well, that's the second part, too. That's I am curious about that. Like what's who um, what organization would you say has had the most impact? I would have. I would have considered uh, the uh, the Bill and Gates uh, Foundation uh, to be probably really up there, close to number one, considering how much they've done in Africa. But I mean, you know, I don't know. I don't work in the nonprofit space, mm -hmm. and I'm just curious. Yeah, definitely. I would say uh, also American Red Cross, or sorry, Red Cross in general. Does that be just American Red yeah. Cross? But they are big on you know being all about the humanitarianism behind it and so helping like in so many different countries and there's so many um you know to touch on your point mike in terms of like fundraising and such like the incredible amount of fundraising that they drive like you know well literally blood drives but also like helping out <laughs> with, uh, uh hurricanes and you know Tropic um, storm relief, like that type of crisis. And so being able to, um, you know, be globally known is absolutely impressive, but to be everywhere and having a place there is another thing as well. Do we not have that yet? Uh, to not ev like what the American I mean, like, Red Cross like, yeah, like everywhere. Yeah. yeah, I would say Red Cross is probably the most, <laughs> the most everywhere <laughs> thing right. I could imagine um in terms of being one of the biggest nonprofits. yeah i mean i can kind of agree i mean i kind of learned how to swim my grandmother actually she was she trained with the red cross to become an aquatics director oh, wow. so you know i know how to swim because of her and it's like funny her teaching which she got like i don't know over 40 years ago was the red cross they've been mm -hmm. around for like over 100 years very very old Wow. So that, 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 you know, that would answer that question. They, they could also be the, probably holding both of those titles there, the, the wealthiest and the most accomplished they've mm -hmm. been, if they've been around that long. Definitely. And knowing like, even for when, for example, so like one of my clients is Blue Cross and Blue Shield of uh, Massachusetts. So you'd think like healthcare immediately, right. but they're That's... really uh, not for profit. So 90% of the money that they get actually goes out um, the door. And so you wouldn't can... have imagined that, but they're no. very big in the community. Yeah. I would no. have never imagined. So you said Blue yeah. Cross and Blue I can Shield? Actually, I, can yeah. actually, I can actually agree with her because I work in a medical company. We, um, we give out to patients CPAP supplies. And it's really funny. Every single person from Mass that calls up and has Blue Cross Blue Shield, they're like the easiest patients. They got no problem. Their insurance answers all of their questions. Everybody else, 
I'm being serious. Like everywhere else, it's horrible. They're like, how much am I paying out of pocket? I, I, I don't know. They're, they're freaking out. <laughs> well, this shit's <laughs> expensive, man. But the thing is, is that there's some insurances that in some way they actually care. This like might they, be one of them. They I care about the patients. Okay, it sounds like we're doing good marketing then. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so that's good because I answer those DMs on Twitter. So um, that's great. Yeah, <laughs> that is great. <laughs> <laughs> funny how All that, that social came media up. support. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's really funny that it came up in the in this way, um, and even uh, with Dave's experiences uh, with those phone calls. But um, keep on bringing them, please. Keep keep going. Why keep bringing them? Yeah, because they're, they're wonderful patients. Do. I love them. <laughs> way, like, there you go. So is that um, is that a uh, a result of? just how the organization works. They make sure that uh, not only are, uh, cause do they provide insurance too? Yeah, they're um, primarily insurance, but what's unique about them is they have, I feel like, you know, they're more than health insurance because they give back to the community. And also like, for example, we just wrapped up volunteer month last month. So the over like 3000 employees doing all these projects throughout, uh, you know, Boston, like Massachusetts, it's truly incredible, like how we can all come together. And now we actually have a new campaign um, rolling out where it's more uh, like internally facing in the sense of like folks like raising money on their own. But now, shoot, I like <laughs> drew a blank on your question. <laughs> no, it's all right. I mean, uh, it, it leads me to other questions. Mm-hmm. Just thinking about, um, so as an insurance company, they're educating their patients. Dave oh, yes. can, va- can vouch for how happy they are yeah. when they call in. So, and, um, and the money, 90% of what they're uh, earning through the services they're putting back out through these programs is that, is that like part of their part of their model it's in their i don't know articles of organization or whatever yeah um there we go thank you <laughs> um yeah so it is very much like a part um of the organization because we they also um value partnerships within the community too so whether it's like uh Bank of America, for example, because they're really into the nonprofit work as well. And so being able to have these partnerships that can um, not only like help with the nonprofits that they're partnering with, but also some of the services, for example, um, there's a learn to live tool, which is a mental health tool for parents um, to help navigate mental health um you know, circumstances for their children. And so it's a unique tool, but not many people know about it. And that's where I come in, in terms of like being able to message this because not yeah. everyone takes advantage of their healthcare benefits. And many of them, you know, they kind of avoid the paperwork in terms of like, okay, like, you know, it's like getting like the stuff in a credit card. Like when you just get that big package in the mail, you're just like, I'm not going to read all this, but there's a lot of information. (laughs) And like, also you're dealing with like, especially senior citizens, you know, and it's so, it's so unfortunate that so many people have this negative image of citizens, you know, senior citizens. And I could personally vouch for my own grandmother. I mean, she's 87 years old. That woman walks faster than I do, okay? She picks up a 50-pound <laughs> so bag with, with like, and she's 87 years old, you know? And it's sometimes nice to see that we actually give back, you know, that they're taken care of. So what? They're old. 
They're people. It's, I, I feel and like they it's... Deser- they deserve to live just as much as we do. And, and they've and they provided a, a tremendous, um, I want to say, uh, a tremendous amount of uh, service to society, you know, throughout their lifetime. I mean, of course. But uh, I, I feel like that's just kind of part of the story. Um, there, you know, could we do more? I mean, this is one of the reasons why um, we're having a lot of the issues we're having now is that um, the way th- government continues to uh, do the things that it does, uh, does in fact leave a lot, a lot of these elderly um, in a very tight spot. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I've heard a, I've heard numerous stories. It's really sad whenever um, whenever you hear it because when I see individuals like this, I say to myself, "Man, you know, you probably did everything right. You, you worked, you got your pension, you know, you retired. Uh, something must have happened, and then uh, reverse mortgage kind of deal, and you lose your property because things go south at some point. It's very very difficult. So I mean, could we do more? Probably." I mean, these are all considering that this is part two of uh, of uh, the the overall topic um, of uh, the working class heroes from the nonprofits to, uh, you know, the people who did tremendous amount of work throughout the last 30 years. Oh, God. Yeah. Helping develop our society even further. Mm-hmm. There's there's still a lot more work to be done, I think. Yeah, no, I agree. And actually that kind of ties into another client that I worked with, which was AARP. And so working with them was I had to work and market uh, a specific tool that was for seniors. And so wondering, you know, how to be helpful, but also knowing that they're not very tech savvy. So how can you get more to their level than what it already is as well. But you want to be able to care for them as well. So mostly mm-hmm. like there's like brain games and such like that were part of the app that I helped, uh, you know, market for, but it just brought me to the point in terms of like them being able to try to find connection in this digital age when they know we, they want to stick in their ways as well. I mean, Whatever I, that may be. I mean, I had with my mom and I'm one of those people, like my mom is 63 years old and I push her with technology. Mm-hmm. I literally pour, push her. She's like, I need help. I'm like, no, do it yourself. And yeah. I'm not trying to be an asshole. It, it's the thing is we're, you know, even the older generations, it's important they know how to use these things. You know, in case of an emergency, if they need to, you know, go somewhere, they have a way of communicating. On- you know, but you're not being, uh, it's not being mean. It's that you understand you got to give them that nudge. And they got to yeah. understand it's okay to make mistakes as you're learning how to yeah. use your iPhone or your smartphone or your tablet. Like you're going to make mistakes on there. It's not the end of the world. It's no. it's all digital. You can still get it back, you know, assuming it's all backed up or arc something, yeah. you know, it's, it's not, you know, changes that are made on these, uh, these devices are not oftentimes they're not permanent unless we're dele- deleting photos or something, but yeah, I mean, it's a, uh, depends on your approach. Dave, but you're doing the right thing. She's she's got to learn, and the more she learns, the easier it becomes because most of it is all the same uh, 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 UI. So yeah, okay. just like they pushed us when we were younger, like we got to push them when they're older. <laughs> <laughs> 
Ah, the tables turn. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that lightly, you know, like hi mom and dad, like you know, like it's fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm just, I'm thinking. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to do this. You know the progressive commercials where, you know, like you turn into your parents. You know, yeah. that's the whole progressive <laughs> commercial. <laughs> It's so true. It, it's so, so true. We do. We turn into our parents. It's like no. Not Hopefully, yet. just the best parts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's wild. Yes. Man, well, you're doing really incredible work. the uh, The marketing is working clearly. You know, from uh, some of that feedback we've gathered earlier. Thank you. Um, it's. Uh, I mean, uh, clearly, it's a. It's a big part of it. Mentioned the the that uh, like brain um, game, I guess is what you call it. Just like yeah, brain games remember, and tools. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember when I started seeing those some years ago. But um, you're you're correct about the the part of how uh, there's this uh, active outreach to to at least notify people these things exist. Uh, for example, Kaiser has been sending me. Um, emails relentlessly reminding me that if I've got any COVID blues, that I have a place to turn to. Oh, wow. Yeah. They're doing it too. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I imagine these services could be utilized uh, by a great many people at this moment in time as uh, things uh, are still kind of chaotic. Uh, it may take a while, several years until we, we can kind of, uh, crawl back out yeah i think yeah, yeah. but uh it, it is interesting to see that outreach that uh one of the aspects that you had talked about is how difficult it was for people to even explore what benefits they have um it's only based on need like it's got to be super bad that i'm even at my doctor's right that uh, right. i imagine is the attitude of some people I don't really want to go but the the uh, other the, this, the other attitude is where when you get older and as healthy as you are, and my grandmother even says this, you still have to, like, remember to take care of yourself, right? So these elderly people, they have to go to the doctor. They have to go more frequently. It's not, you know, right. again, they are older. Right. But in, in a way, you're punishing them because they have to go more frequently. So Why? What's the punishment? The punishment is, is that their coverage doesn't cover as much. Their co-payments are usually higher. Mm -hmm. Do you understand how bad Medicare is? Like, they literally do not care if the patient does not have six, $700. It's like, that's your co-payment for medication. And that's wrong, because these are the people that um, have oftentimes the least. I mean, there's there's equities, but I think that's also um, an education issue. Uh, and so, so many factors that play into... Uh, why are elderly are ending up in the situations they're in, um, in, in modern day, 2022. Um, but something like that shouldn't be occurring. I, I, I feel like they're the most vulnerable with the highest risk of needing to use these services. And yet uh, being asked to pay so much, like people don't have that much in their savings. You hear these stories a lot, right, Dave? Um, I, yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunate. It's it's hard because you know, one thing I I'm one of those weird people that 
I kind of look up to those elderly people, like I've known people who were part of the hippie movement, they were part of the powering movement, the people that were a part of the movement to, to kind of push the people to do better. And now they're in their 60s, 70s, and they're kind of forgotten, you know, like a book on a, a shelf, but they're so fascinating. You know, I could sit with one of these people for hours. They're so cool, but no one cares. Some well, people do, but some people do. It, it feels like no one cares about them anymore. Yeah, and that's where um, you know it reminds me of another nonprofit that I worked with, which was Mass Coalition um, for Serious Illness, and it works specifically with the elderly population, like you know, in after death, like type of options like that was essentially like their mission and so um and they were small but they weren't very well known and so that's where I feel you know in healthcare like there's definitely like these benefits and everything but there's also like nonprofits that are wanting to help in that way as well but they don't they may not have like you know the funding to like build that type of awareness or they're kind of working on um generating that and therefore like you know of course, you know, I love my grandparents. Like I love like that generation is just, they are a very like storytelling generation. And so it's just a matter of how can um, the nonprofits or how we, you know, our generation even like to show today, like how we can help them through this. Cause essentially, you know, we're taking care of them when they um, had taken care of us a while ago. So it's kind of like the, the full circle <laughs> of how to make that um, all harmonize. Right. Yeah. Well, well, two questions for you. I mean, uh, it had me curious. Uh, one being, um, I mean, to date, I don't know how long your career has been, but how many different organizations have you worked with? And then the <laughs> second, and then the second question was, um, let me see if it'll come to me. Um, wait for it. Wait for it. The mag- magic is coming. Mm. (laughs) that's gone i think it's gone it was there oh well maybe it'll pop up um that that was the problem too many (laughs) um now i have to really think about how many different nonprofits i've worked with because the most i've worked with at a time was 10 um at once and then from there i had (laughs) <laughs> like counting um i would say in total probably like close to about 16 nonprofits at this point that i've worked with that's quite a bit all different purposes and visions and uh mm-hmm. and, and goals that they would like to reach um i finally remember you know you, you were talking about how there are these uh you know different organizations different goals uh, yes, the uh, funding can be small for them and then they, they, they'll need the funding in order to grow. And, uh, and uh, in return, of course, as they grow uh, through marketing by putting funds there, they have to raise more funds to be able to help more people as they, as they get more people wanting help. I mean, it's a, uh, it's, it's quite, quite a long kind of process I imagine these organizations would go through to be able to scale up, but where would a person who would want any type of service, where would they begin to look? I mean, is it just, do they just approach these nonprofits and say like, Hey, I think 
I think I can use your help. Yeah, in terms of looking for a specific service, like for example, like Project Bread is um, one that helps with food insecurity in Massachusetts. So I think, yeah, I think it comes down to the research and also like if you fit like within like the need, like, you know, if you have a need, like, are you able to get that service from that particular nonprofit? Because, you know, at the end of the day, like, if you think about it, like we wouldn't, the goal of like nonprofits is to, in a way, like, I don't want to say this in a, a rude way, but it's to not have them. We should have these types of services anyway. Like we don't have yeah, to be it's, it's like, counterproductive. exactly. And so that's why like with food insecurity, for example, like all these like school meals and such, they keep extend, you know, throughout the pandemic, they've been extending school meals and yet, you know, nothing like in the sense like have been permanent, um, but I can go political, but I won't <laughs> go too far okay. into it. We, um, like- <laughs> but it's just kind of like, you know, but that's kind of like some of the issues that I love um, working for and standing for is like being able to go to DC and um, not saying like I've been like lobbying, but being able to like help amplify that voice, like while I'm there, like whether it's behind the scenes on social media or I'm working as like a PR specialist to help um, an executive director prepare for their uh, media interview. So there's so many like different ways into that. Um, but I think it's very interesting, like how. Would this they, but would they listen? Because honestly, mm-hmm. and I'm one of those people that will say this. I don't think they listen. They hear. Yeah. They hear everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. I don't think they listen. Yeah, there's something in the water, like, in that (laughs) sense, like, (laughs) because it's just, you know, we're advocating and, you know, with, you know, advocating and like having this like activism behind it. But it's just like, when can we get to that point where we're actually heard? I mean, it could be, could be a while. It's going to require probably a lot more, uh, um, a lot more voices. And yeah. a um, and a very serious stand. I, I mean, that's the that's the only way it's ever. I feel like it's been done, and um, I wouldn't say that something going viral would be enough. Yeah. Right. No, I, I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, if it's a message or an idea, um, um, a speech that goes viral, even if it inspires people, still, oftentimes, not enough for it to um to actually solidify and then people hold their ground and say like okay enough is enough this mm-hmm. now is that now is the time for this change and you're going to find a way we're going to lock you in there and you guys better come to some agreement do you, you remember i mentioned to you about the aids uh protests that went on when clinton was in office and people just was like oh my god we have to do something and you know why that happened it wasn't anything viral. It wasn't anything um, like just we realized that it's not a gay disease. There were tons of heterosexual males and females that had AIDS. And it was all like everybody knew because it was just it was just heard. It was finally heard. Yeah. You know, it's not mm-hmm. viral. It's just people just they wake up. They're like, fuck, my husband's dying. 
and we're pretending because they might think he's gay. They just stopped giving a fuck. And they yeah. did something about it. Mm-hmm. Think about it. No, it's true. And like, even, you know, relating to doing like social media work and having things like become viral because, you know, clients all the time just like, how do you get viral? And it's just like, it just happens. Like, <laughs> in that sense, like, a, there's no way you yeah. can like control the algorithm, but you can control the message and what you bring and where um, you're standing. Like, to, to Dave's, Dave's point, is just like having that, yeah that not only like that platform, like not, you know, doesn't have to be a big platform, but just being able to be heard and like when that will actually like click and like people will wake up for that. Right. I, and, you know, hopefully it's uh, sooner rather than later, but, but I feel like uh, it's, it's absolutely true that, uh, you know, virality happens. It's very unique situations. The, the algorithms do have uh, a role to play in it. Um, sometimes there's no rhyme or reason for those that have kind of cracked that code. Um, I've had conversations with uh, other people, other marketers in my space, and um, it's usually uh, it's the same. Uh, it's the same idea from pe- person to person. It's like you know we are working towards manufactured virality of figuring out just the right message in the right in the right delivery method. Uh, the right story and and it's something that you, you can duplicate uh, but that's more so for commerce right I mean I guess it could work for ideology it can work for a lot of things but uh, that's usually the circles in which we're having these conversations and ideas of um, if we were to create such a thing how could we do it of course there's the paid advertising and as long as the the, the costs per click isn't uh, insanely high. I mean, it's usually okay. Like Facebook marketing has been dirt cheap for many years, not mm-hmm. so much anymore, but yeah. Yeah. to say like, yeah, really, you know, the, it's interesting how now it's like pay to play. Um, and it's really unfair <laughs> in that sense, especially like in the nonprofit space um because even like for example i'll mention like an algorithm update like where instagram like now how everyone can share a link like you don't have to have ten thousand or one thousand followers bless you um but (laughs) you don't have to have that like a type of authority to get something that you should already have and so that struck me in the sense of being like okay like you know social platforms like need to have these tools and features like more so available so they're able to take advantage of what the algorithm could be or amplified yeah like right. there's there's an organization i know this because I, I had friends in in england uh they're in manchester and liverpool and they're a musicians guild so they help kids that grew up on the streets they help them get into music school and they have like throughout the weeks that they'll do like little shows outside um and I remember like talking with them and they struggle horribly outside of England because they mm-hmm. they can't afford the advertisement. Like they're well known in England, like Northern England, everybody knows who they are. Mm-hmm. But they can't get help anywhere else. But like going going global in they a sense. They can't, it's too expensive. I yeah. mean I mean, yeah, I guess. Just depends on 
your budget and what you're, I mean, it's everything is, it's doable. But think about it. It's a nonprofit. How do you expect a, a business like that in, in God knows yeah. Liverpool and Manchester? <laughs> Come on. Uh, you, you, yeah. you, you know, you leverage the internet just, just like every other small business has. And, um, and consistency, I guess, is the other thing that the algorithm truly loves is consistency. Yeah. Um, I think in the early years, it was consistency and volume. So, Mm-hmm. You know, um, and then some other uh, variables came into play, relevance and, and tags and so many things. Uh, but uh, I feel like ultimately, as long as uh, these organizations have some funding, they can still do what they need to do locally. I mean, out of mm-hmm. out of their their general area of where they are, I mean, how much how much further or impact could this guild want, right? I mean, do they want to be in Eastern Europe? Do they want to go to Asia? I mean, what are, what are their ambitions? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think it definitely depends on uh, the nonprofit, like in terms of like, are they going to be doing a global mission or is it more on a local base? Like one of the more so recent clients I worked with was the DC, um, the Washington DC Independent Film Festival. And so we got submissions from all over the world. And so we had kind of this similar discussion being like, okay, like we're going to focus in Washington DC area. Cause like we want obviously like the local folks to come, but also we have to consider our audience um, abroad. Like some of the ads I had to write was work with, uh, you know, a translator and some of the ads that we wanted to share like on Instagram stories. So we're able to like, at least get um, some recognition in terms of um, England was kind of actually one of our targets. So um, it's a matter of, yeah, definitely like the funding, but also the networking that comes with that um, too. It's just so crucial and knowing like we kind of have um, connections like over there and have a presence, but um, being able to just focus like locally before you go globally. I think there's, um, yeah, I think, yeah, think global, act local is probably one of my <laughs> common phrases that I like to give to clients is just making sure like, you know, stay within your mission, like where you are, but keep thinking on that big global scale because you're going to, you will get there. It's just like you have to focus on like your local. It's kind of thinking like, you know, think present before <laughs> the future. Because the first thing that comes to mind is Scandinavia because hmm. you have Norway, Sweden, Denmark, and Finland. You have all these scandinavian nations and they've all kind of figured out a way of kind of taking care of their country you know norway kind of figured out a way of taking care of their resources figuring out how to make their economy better taking care of the criminal and justice department they all kind of like created this little environment and i think it's incredible yeah no, it's, it, they live, uh, you know, like harmoniously, like the fact that they're able to, what is it? Are they moving to the four day work, work week? Was that, I forget which country like was thinking about that or was it Europe in general, but yeah. Was it Europe have, in general? I think. Yeah. And so like Europe. being able to just have like that balance in life even too, um, to fulfill, like not just your individual life, but also the work, um, that comes with it. I think that's so important, though. Um, I hope. Uh, I hope the. U- I mean, the U.S. is all about work, productivity, yeah. 
um, just on the grind 24-7. We're just uh, expansion and the growth, and we can't stop. We can't ever stop. But uh, that comes at a high price, and I think um, uh, we saw it even more so during this pandemic. All, all of these people who pushed over time to just take care of us. Mm-hmm. So, um, all the crews in, uh, in, in the medical community, the, uh, the fast food community, the, yeah. uh, the grocery, you know, um, workers. I mean, the, all of these people are people. pretty much the, the, yeah, the hardworking people, the, the world, uh, the working class people that, uh, really gave up so much. And as I said, it just comes at a price. So four day work week, I'm for it. Sign me up. Yeah. <laughs> we could all use it. That's for sure. Oh, that'd be nice. Mm-hmm. <sighs> at least I have Saturday off. Thank our Lord Jesus. I have Saturday. <laughs> right? I'm not giving that up. I'm telling you right now, that is my freedom. <laughs> Hold that's, on to it. <laughs> that's the true working class is having your Saturday. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, um, this has actually been really fun and a really good way of, of closing the chapter to humanitarian work. It is finest. Yes. Well, thank you guys for having me. It's been so fun talking about the different nonprofits and I actually never thought about how many I worked with before. So <laughs> that was a good question. Um, but I really appreciate um, the conversation and um, taking the time to talk about, um, you know, being a part of the humanitarian humanitarian segment. I had to pronounce that a lot earlier. Um, <laughs> to get it right. I was just like, I know what it is. I can do it. But yeah, no, I wanted to thank you guys. It's really been um, so much fun. Um, and if you guys want to do like another segment too, I'd be definitely happy to um, join in. So cool. Uh, did you, did you want to leave off with anything, anything you'd want anybody to, for example, connect um, or reach out to you um, anything specific? Sure. Um, well, where you can find me is I'm at allaboutconfidence.co as in CO. Um, and then you can find me also on Instagram at all about confidence. And you can also find me on LinkedIn, um, to see more of my experience at Aaron DeVost. Um, but importantly, I want to leave the message, uh, of knowing that, you know, no matter like what you want, um, to be doing in life, you can make a difference. Like whether it's something small, whether it's something, um, grand, whether it's a donation or volunteering your time, just know how important that is to each of the nonprofits that, um, and the people importantly that are involved in it. So I want to thank you again. That's a good message. Thank you for sharing that. You're doing, you're doing great work and, um, you know, hopefully, uh, you can continue to work with great organizations that are changing lives every day. Thank you. Yeah, I'm actually planning on moving to D.C. this summer, so you may see <laughs> more of me down there. <laughs> Very cool. Well, uh, Thank you. You're welcome. And um, we'll see you guys sometime, eventually, somewhere. I don't know. We'll find out. See you guys. All right, guys, we have reached that time in our podcast. This has been great. It has been fun. And we got lost in the groove. 
So stay tuned. Every Tuesday, be sure to check out a new episode of Lost in the Groove. It premieres about 2 a.m. in the morning. And our other channels, Shambam with Mike and Dave, which is our Patreon podcast, and our extra special, The Shindig Variety Show, our YouTube podcast. Links will be down in the description box so you can vote for what topic we cover next season. And what other kind of content or new ideas and stuff we have to offer. Thank you guys so much for watching. Catch you guys in the next one.